listening to a special episode of Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And behind the boards, as always, we have producer Isaac. And this week, in a complete coincidence, given that it is uh, episode 20, we made it, guys. Mission accomplished. Um, We decided to do a deep dive on a recurring character who keeps coming up in the the Not Good Enough episodes. We decided... We decided to have a look at the, the 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 life, the trials and tribulations of one Angus Taylor and the impact that he's had on the Australian political landscape. He's the uh, federal, federal federal energy idiot, right? Yep. That's <laughs> him. One and the same. It's just so remarkable just how many times he's come up as a minor character just in the last year alone. L- last six months even. Yeah. He's just Honestly, a major character. Yeah, I don't think he's a minor character. Yeah. Like, this is a podcast about climate change. He's the guy who decides Australia's energy and climate policy. Like, he's, if anything, he might be our nemesis. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's, look, we've got a rogues gallery, I but think, he's yeah. certainly like the Riddler. He's the up thing there. is, yeah, yeah, for me, that we've got, like, in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of the media landscape, we've got, um, like, Scott Morrison, Prime Minister, Peter Dutton, known horrible person, and these, like, major figures. Mm. And coming up in the background, there's always, like, oh, remember? Oh, Stuart Robert, I remember that. And, and Angus Taylor. And it feels like we're the, like, B-tier superhero <laughs> fighting off the B-tier villain. And it's just, like, while the main focus is over there on, like, Batman and Joker, it's like, yeah, Robin fighting <laughs> against his nemesis, Crowman. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's yeah. like how every shitty superhero, like like the Flash has Captain Boomerang, <laughs> and Superman has Lex Luthor. Batman never fights Lex Luthor, even though they're in the same country. They just they they have union agreements. Lex <laughs> Luthor crimes fall under Superman's jurisdiction, and I think yeah. yeah, Batman fights Lex Luthor and then gets a call from Superman this evening, being like, "What the fuck, man? Oh, yeah. look, I'm sorry, Get off my I'm, turf." I'm really sorry. I thought it'd be okay. He was. Sorry, I'm just sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just it felt appropriate to start to take aim and really um, unpack the the life and the scandals and the political machinations of these people that keep coming up in our podcast because I feel they are much more relevant um, than the than the credit they're given in the Australian media landscape. They're also much more interesting. Yeah, you might not know it, but uh, Angus Taylor was making terrible decisions for Australia's future even as a baby. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. <laughs> and also, it's important to keep these guys in mind because when they pop up and they make a terrible decision, the media always says like, oh, what? Oh, no. But it's like, <laughs> if you know anything about them, you'd be like, obviously he was going to do that. Yeah. His bloody, his his car's number plate says, I hate the earth or something. <laughs> Tonight on the news, we're getting some concerning reports in from Peanutsville. Apparently, Susie's pulled the football away. <laughs> How did she do this? And something we need to note up the top as well is that Angus Taylor and his wife, Louise, are apparently extremely litigious. Um, so we've vetted... Uh, sources quite thoroughly here. It isn't from like AussieTrueCrimeBlog.com. These are no. All... Some of them are actually from there. I really rate that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's a really great website. I highly recommend it. You know, um, in their time, um, Angus Taylor and his wife have actually uh, threatened legal action over uh, changes to Wikipedia pages or community footage of local politics on Facebook groups, huh? <laughs> which Wait, is they, fantastic. They didn't like the footage. Yep. So they tried to get it removed. Oh, that's amazing. That's according to um, Michael West Media and uh, a bunch of other places. We'll, we will get into it as we dig into this. But uh, if yeah. anyone from the Taylor family is listening to this, we're a comedy podcast, so eat mm. shit. Anything <laughs> that isn't isn't like objectively true is satire. Exactly. Parody, 100%. parody, parody. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing I said about Angus Taylor being a baby... <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> Born fully formed. The Honourable Member for Hume, Angus Taylor, was born 30th of September 1966, making him 53 years young. He is currently the Energy Minister in the Morrison government after serving as an elected official since 2013. He's married to one wife, Louise Clegg, and he has a bunch of kids. His parents are or were probably fine. I don't know. I don't care. I didn't look into it. I don't give a shit. But 
It's not a podcast about Angus Taylor's parents. <laughs> <laughs> if this uh, becomes Angus Taylor, this is your life. I'm going to be real mad. <laughs> <laughs> We've got his parents here. <laughs> There's a lockdown, Mr. and Mrs. Taylor. <laughs> Mike Willis is going to break in with like a leather bound book for Angus Taylor, like any second now. We are not getting through all this. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it's your fault you bloody mentioned his wife and kids. <laughs> she comes up. Okay. So Angus Taylor himself grew up in the country with a number of brothers, some of whom we will meet shortly. Um, but in his time going through the education system, Angus was a bit of a bright spark. He was a Rhodes Scholar and he actually studied economics at Oxford, where we can be fairly sure he at least knew of two people called Tony Reid and Chris Gradle, who will come up again later. We're pretty sure of that because they're in the same rowing club together, which is just a just a weird way to make friends and connections in industry. I don't know why I mean, rowing I just want to interject up. here that a Rhodes Scholar does not mean that you're actually smart. I I, I mean, I could yeah. make yeah, a whole Tony podcast a about Rhodes that. A Rhodes, Scholar- a Rhodes Scholarship is like a specific scholarship that's given to... Um, people usually in private schools, usually related to certain fields, and all of them seem to have distressingly like I wouldn't say genocide adjacent. <laughs> um but there there's there's dodgy links in terms of but like, like the flavor, their yeah. Yeah. In terms of like their jobs, in terms of their lines of work. It's it's quite suspect. We do have a lot of prime ministers who are Rhodes Scholars as well, but again, not really an indicator of actual, you know, cleverness. Like, I mean, Tony Abbott was a Rhodes Scholar, so there you And go. I want to interject and say that meeting people in the rowing club at Oxford is the usual way to make <laughs> <It> friends. It is. <laughs> Um, it seems like Angus Taylor was also always interested in a career in politics. So pretty much straight after Oxford, he came back to Australia and volunteered as a staffer for Liberal Party member Barry O'Farrell, who apparently told him to have a career before politics. And so he did. Pretty much straight after his time with Barry O'Farrell, he worked at McKinsey alongside his maybe best mate, Tony Reid, and he was made partner there in 1999. And this is, of course, following a family tradition from the Taylors. One of his brothers, Charlie Taylor, was and still is a senior partner at McKinsey. So what's McKinsey? McKinsey is a consulting firm. Uh, They have like a whole branch of sort of uh, branches, I should say, of different sort of fingers that they like to get into different pies. But what McKinsey is particularly known for is for being a source of government contracting, especially in the US, that is very, very... Uh, intelligence uh, and uh, security related. So they do a lot of work for the CIA. Um, They do a lot of work for the FBI as well. Um, One thing that you may have seen uh, in the last couple of months, if you've been paying attention to the US elections, is that one of the candidates, uh, Pete Buttigieg, was formerly a consultant at McKinsey. And he was involved in uh, fixing bread prices in Canada, oh, it turns out. <laughs> it was a whole oh, thing. He was- it sounds like McKinsey is sort of the, you know, a puppet and string maintenance company. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and again, we can go into a whole podcast about consulting firms, but it's important just to remember that McKinsey is a fundamentally evil uh, consultancy yeah. firm, and that's <laughs> particularly important to this. And- So whatever you may think of how this reflects on the man then, uh, Angus Taylor did really well at McKinsey. (laughs) (laughs) Did did he make a lot of PowerPoints? (laughs) (laughs) One of his um, standout achievements, which I I definitely think is worth bringing up, is that he had a huge role in establishing Fonterra, which is a New Zealand-based multinational dairy cooperative owned by about 10,500 New Zealand farmers, it's responsible today for about 30% of the world's dairy exports and it's New Zealand's biggest company. So coming off the back of that, Taylor had a bit of cred. After his time in McKinsey, Angus Taylor was also director of a place called Port Jackson Partners, which is an Australian consultancy firm. And while he was there, he was a member of the Victorian Government Task Force to investigate the development of coal seam gas in the state. Mm-hmm. And this was in 2013, which as we'll see coming up a bit later on was a huge year for Angus Taylor. But this um, hang on. So when when they investigated the development of coal seam gas, uh, we're assuming they said it was good. 
Uh, yeah, really, really weird. In October 2013, the, the report came out and unsurprisingly, it made 19 recommendations, all of which strongly suggested that gas should be mined in Victoria. Um, one of the ones that I really like for reasons which we'll see coming up uh, later on was recommendation number four, that the Victorian government develop a comprehensive water science and licensing program. Oh. Essentially asking that the Victorian government should look into maybe like buying and selling water. Oh, I don't like huh. that. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> um, also in his pre-politics time, he he seems to have always had a bee in his bonnet for wind farms. And I'm not exactly sure why. The, some of the letters and, and blog posts that I found about this from way back in the day suggest that he was really concerned about wind farm development happening near his boyhood home. He was one um, of the stop these things guys. Yeah, oh, yes, he was. Stop these things. Oh my God, I'd forgotten all about that. So yeah, that's he, like, so was funny. Leading rallies and shit. Yeah, yeah, that shit was mad. It was so funny. Like all these people, like seeming like extremely offended by the presence of wind farms, like just disgusted <laughs> by looking at them. It was so funny because they had like all these targeted advertising all over the internet as well for stop these things. So mm. like they managed to get like some sort of a mail out list and stuff. So like activists was get like were getting like their blog posts and stuff as well. That was the first time I'd heard about it, and I was just like, what? stop these things like yeah. what an amazing message <laughs> like those those anti-wind farm guys they're like friggin anti-5g people they are some of them are just straight up conspiracy theory lizard people like whack yeah it's um alan jones led a rally in uh, parliament that angus taylor spoke at in 2013 right before he sort of entered politics which was around the same time as alan jones was also holding that ditch the witch rally against uh, former Prime Minister Julia Gillard. So for <laughs> Angus Taylor to sort of lend his face and his voice to that rally as well is really kind of shit. Like at that time to be like, oh, I'm actually still on board with Alan Jones mm. is is really gross. But at the same time, the rally that he spoke at had about 100 people and the counter-protest had 10 times that much. So again, <laughs> before we get into Taylor's time in politics, uh, and I say, well, essentially 2013, I think it's worth um, just detailing a little bit about the Taylor family and their unfortunate predilection for starting companies that are years later and totally coincidentally involved in political scandals. Mm. Um, so, mm. for instance... Angus Taylor's brother, Richard, founded a company called Growth Farms Australia, which is now a $400 million agricultural fund manager. Uh, Richard Taylor's also a director of a company called Jamland as well. So he's very busy as a director of companies, all of which we'll hear about in a little bit. Um, uh, Angus Taylor himself also founded and directed a bunch of companies all through the years up until 2013, at which point he, you know, to enter politics, you have to get rid of all that stuff. So he left all of his companies behind. Um, he managed to fa like uh, register a bunch of companies in Australia and also overseas. And the overseas stuff isn't too unusual. I had to look this up when I was doing this episode. But Taylor himself has actually said, he's been quoted as saying that sometimes when you set up a business, you if you've got funding or other people from overseas or business interests overseas, sometimes you need to fund these companies and, and register these companies in other locations just to make sure everyone's paying the right type of tax. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, Taylor has founded and directed some Australian businesses like uh, Agricultural Managers Australia and also a company called Australian Agricultural Securitization. I love which... these companies where you just cannot tell what they do. Oh, but, but also I love how familiar they are. So, so, get this. Those two companies, AMA and AAS, were controlled by a parent company called Agricultural Managers Limited. Cool. That's a familiar naming convention. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I really unfortunately, like the idea don't... that he's like switching businesses around because, oh man, I'm just, I've just been managing agricultural agricultural <laughs> funds for years, and I feel like I've, you know, I've contributed what I have to offer. It's, it's time for a break. I'm going to move from managing agricultural funds to just something really different, like managing agricultural securities, <laughs> or yeah. managing, managing agribusiness funds. funds yeah. Or... yeah. Um, but look, look, none of this is specifically bad. Like. Big no. multi-billion dollar businesses have like little offshoot companies all over the joint all the time. <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. specifically wrong with big multi-billion dollar companies. <laughs> <laughs> Having little offshoots that take over local enterprises. Yeah, nothing wrong with okay, that. Okay, yeah. What I mean is like the fact that he's founding a lot of companies is not in itself bad. Anyway, sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, there's nothing there's nothing specifically bad about a particular company starting somewhere. The devil's always in the details. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we don't know who founded uh, AML. Uh, we only know that Angus Taylor was managing director of them in 2010 after he told the media that himself. And the reason why we don't know who founded AML is because the Cayman Islands, where AML was registered on December 6, 2007, doesn't require that type of disclosure. Ah, the Cayman Islands. The Cayman Islands. Well, that's always good news. So keep, keep well, the Cayman Islands. The things there to make sure that people are paying the right kind of tax. The right kind exactly, of tax. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So keep that in mind. The Cayman Islands, December 6th. 2007. Um, throughout all this time as well, um, the Taylor family, like many other true blue, fair dinkum, right on Aussie working class families, have their own family investment company called Guffy. Um, they have heaps of investments all over the place, mostly through the agricultural sector. And uh, that is registered on Angus Taylor's um, register of interests, where politicians have to go, oh, yeah, I own this. I'm involved mm. in this. I, I like this thing. I've given a lot of money to this thing. I've got to let the people know. So he's um, still, he still has an uh, investment in that? Yep. yep. That's still current. Okay. 100%. So, with that all set up and the history of Angus Taylor uh, tucked away neatly in your brains, let's go through the 2000s into the 20-teens. Let's get to 2013, where Angus Taylor has- this has to be stressed. Angus Taylor, by the end of 2013, has divested everything he has to legally, has declared everything he has to legally, and there is absolutely no evidence that he has benefited financially from anything we're going to talk about, nor has he had a hand in making the decision of anything we're talking about. And I just want to say that, fine, okay, you've not had a financial benefit from any of these, nor have you had a hand in deciding anything. But- can we talk about how friendships work? <laughs> or like, <laughs> like I, I said, I said this to Lang the other day. But McLean has loaned me an Xbox 360 controller, and I appreciate that, and I like that I can use it. And so, if McLean needs something from me, that's going to be in my mind, being like, "Oh yeah, that was really nice of him. I'm sure I can find a way to help him out in the future." If he was to loan me $15 million for something or, like, take a $15 million hit, it's like, yeah, he he suffered financially. But that's not where it ends. I'm still going to be like, oh, that McLean, good bloke. I hope I can help him later on. <laughs> also, by I the way, McLean, like- I owe you a lot of money. <laughs> I feel like the 360 controller is like such a small, like don't, <laughs> our friendship is more than a, an Xbox 360 controller. That's what I'm saying. It is or a small is thing that makes a difference. So right before being elected to the seat of Hume in late 2013, turns out Angus Taylor was by far the largest sole donor to the Liberal Party. Across five batches over 18 months, 2012 to 2013, he gave a combined $155,000 to the Liberal Party. Wow. At the time, this was more than the second highest self-donor, which was Malcolm Turnbull, who had given $13,000. All right. So we gave $150-something thousand to the Liberal National Party and then got elected into a seat. Crazy, right? (laughs) I actually didn't know that it was more than Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, yeah. He was a huge, huge donor. Like, this thing that's more than Malcolm Turnbull by a factor of 10, right? Yeah. Like, because people talk a lot about how Turnbull got his seat essentially because he donated a shit ton of money in order to curry favor. And this is so much more than that. Turnbull gave a shitload later, like when he went to become PM. Right. Uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Turnbull has eventually given heaps more, uh, like when he tried to become Prime Minister, heaps, heaps more than what Taylor did. But it's just never really come up. Angus Taylor's always sort of put in as the the rinky-dink farmer guy, but he gave a fucking lot of money to the Liberal Party. Um, But um, completely coincidentally, after running a very good campaign, uh, he was elected uh, September 7th, 2013, to the seat of Hume, and he entered the Australian Parliament. (laughs) Um, For a while, he was a a hard-working backbencher. That's not a moral description on what the work was, but he worked very hard at what he thought was good um, and became known as the agribusiness guy. Um, There was a bunch of reports around the time, mostly focusing on um, Barnaby Joyce, who was another national member, who's also a big farming guy, always sort of getting involved in agricultural stuff. But um, Angus Taylor helped him negotiate some really boring political stuff involving ports and wheat farmers and all the rest of it. But it was 
it was known that Angus Taylor was making a name for himself. He had Barnaby Joyce and former prime ministers like John Howard as his supporters. And it was sort of this thing in political circles that Angus Taylor would be one of the big players in Australian politics. Mm. Throughout this whole time as well, he was beating the anti-renewable drum really fucking loudly. Doing it in the way that he was always saying, I'm, re- I'm actually really pro-renewables though. Like, I'm really pro-renewables, oh, yeah. like clean coal and gas and stuff that aren't renewable. He was, like, actively fighting to get the renewable energy target removed. He was fighting to get, like, less wind power, like, subsidies. He was just fighting renewables the whole way through. Yeah, always under the guise, too, of, like, well, I want to serve my constituents as well as I can. Yeah, it's about taxpayers. Yeah, it's always about taxpayers. About taxpayers. Um, but uh, he did. He spent about three, four years in that position, sort of ambling along, making connections, making a name for himself. And then a whole bunch of uh, weird scandals that he's not directly related to started to happen. Mm. So Angus Taylor has an indirect relation to and stake in a company which has been found to have illegally poisoned grassland. Uh, The connection he has is super indirect, indirect as in Angus Taylor's family investment fund, Guffy, holds a stake in the company. Mm -hmm. And one of the company's directors is Richard Taylor, Angus Taylor's brother. (laughs) His brother. Yeah, I mean, indirectly. Indirectly. (laughs) Indirectly. The company is Jamland, the one started by his brother, Richard. Okay. So... A federal investigation into Jamland started all the way back in November of 2016 to find out if they had illegally poisoned native grassland. This investigation by the federal government was only started after the New South Wales government, under the then Premier John Barilaro, launched an investigation two years earlier, in 2014. They had an investigation going for a while, which always faltered and never got off the ground and, and, and never really got anywhere. So the federal government had to pick it up. Now, I hang on. I really want to know, how hard is it to figure out if someone's been poisoning a large area of native grassland? Presumably, that's, <laughs> that's there's not a lot of grey area there. Either it's been poisoned or it hasn't. So, from what I can figure out from the, the stuff that I looked into, it was mainly about trying to figure out if you poisoned more than 50% native Australian grassland. And so all of the finagling was like, oh, we actually, we only poisoned 49.3% native Australian. And some other places were like, no, it was 51.3. That was where the- buffalo grass in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the New South Wales government could never really get this uh, investigation off the ground. Oh, Mm. unrelated, sorry, just to speak of the Taylor family, totally unrelated to this point. Um, Angus Taylor's sister-in-law, Bronwyn Taylor, was the parliamentary secretary to the New South Wales Premier during this time. I I totally forgot about that. (laughs) Should have put it earlier. My bad. Unrelated. Oh, sure, but that's just like setting up who people are. The fact that Angus Taylor was a big shot in government agriculture (laughs) didn't didn't come into it. Didn't come into it. (laughs) So, the reason why this was a scandal that got everyone um, interested in Angus Taylor was during the federal investigation in 2017, Angus Taylor met with, while he was in government, met with officials and the then Environment Minister, Josh Frydenberg, who's now our federal treasurer. And after the meeting, Frydenberg's office started to look into whether or not the legislation governing this grassland, the legislation Jamland were breaking, should be weakened, and also whether or not they would need to make these changes publicly. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, it doesn't look just, great. So, how can we commit this crime legally, but also how do we how do we not let anyone else know that we did this crime that is definitely legal Legit. now? Freedom of information requests were honoured in what is a fucking shock to everyone. And there's been emails and handwritten notes that have come out that shows Frydenberg's office were like, hey, if we if we change the legislation now, do we have to let anyone know? Can we just mm. sort of do it? <laughs> it's like, That's holy amazing. shit. Is this, there is, a- this is so Josh Frydenberg's there meeting with Richard Taylor, Angus Taylor's brother, about Richard Taylor, Angus Taylor's brother's company, right? <laughs> Angus Taylor wasn't involved at all? No, Angus Taylor had meetings with Josh Frydenberg about it, but he totally told them that there was some family interest and he totally was there as the agribusiness politician guy, not in any way acting in Jamland's mm. favour. He wasn't working for Jamland well, at all. he divested from that. He, he had what? no connection with it. Yeah, no, none whatsoever. He has declared mm. every interest he might have. Oh, so just as a quick thing, um, uh, like I said, 
Angus has an indirect relation to Jamland, beside his brother mm. being the founder and, and director. Um, mm. The indirect and his relation, company, his family company, being a, a yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So what is what is really cool about our legal system and the way it all works with with, with our politicians is that Angus has listed Guffy as one of his interests when he became a politician. Yep, my family owns this family trust fund. Doesn't list who Guffy has uh, investments in though, like Jamland. Like because this- they're not oh. required. Because they're not required to. Yeah. So this is this is that's crazy. This is something that we've talked about before on the podcast in terms of like doing things to the letter of the law, um, but still the letter of the law allowing for a lot of sort of covering up of what the actual context is, yeah. like so in this if, situation. So if you get dividends from a company that has invested in a second company, you're not actually no. linked to that second company. They oh, don't. Well, so Lang- you can just set up a, a shell kind of thing <laughs> oh, man. and then I mean, help f- out that second company. At least how not in terms of parliamentary interests. You're not yeah. linked. But I mean, what if what if that second company makes investments in the third company, and the third company gets <laughs> gets water and, from the gut? Who like it's just so complicated, Lang. And that second company is owned by your brother, and then you, <laughs> your your mate in the government makes laws about the thing that that second company did wrong on your advice, and then you get money back from that. Oh, but you're right. In- no, it seems fine. In Taylor's defence, your mate in the government who's making laws about those things is making them secretly. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> but, but, but so where's the harm? Not secretly to you, in conversation with you about laws that your brother's company. Oh, hold, hold, on, have. hold on, hold on, hold on, Lang. Yeah. Not in conversation with you, after a conversation with yes, you. There's yes. a big difference there. <laughs> <laughs> after, a conversation. After a conversation. A conversation okay. we can be sure had nothing to do with influencing this because to hmm. do so would be illegal. That's so. True. Um, uh, the investigation uh, has eventually actually found recently that Jamland did illegally clear critically endangered grassland, oh. which resulted in a civil but not criminal breach. Mm. So it doesn't look like they're going to face a fine. They're only going to have to restore 103 hectares of native grassland over five years, which mm-hmm. I don't really know how you do that. But already Richard Taylor is saying that they're going to try to appeal that because fuck yeah. native grasslands, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they get in the way of farming. I was going to say, 100 hectares of native grassland for, for a big farm is not a huge amount. And restoring it, it's not cheap, but probably costs less than appealing a high-level friggin' case like this. But whatever, <laughs> whatever. It's about the principle. It's a principle. Um, this is also a fun little controversy that I found Angus Taylor was, again, indirectly related to. Um, he is indirectly connected to the scum that illegally poisoned 420 wedge-tail eagles. Oh, that was That's- so horrible. That yeah, actually so made me feel sick. Over a period of 18 months from uh, 2016, a man called John Hour was sending congratulatory texts to all his workmates, um, keeping a running tally of how many wedgetail eagles they killed because eagles yeah. in... They, get, they, they kill sheep and they get involved and they ruin crops or whatever the fuck. It was illegal and it was fucking disgusting. Yeah. Now, who's John Hour? <laughs> He's just the man <laughs> who was director and part owner of Jamland from its inception. Oh. Before Angus Taylor's oh brother took it over. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, so he'd left Jamland though. Uh, yes, he sold okay. it to the Taylors. Yes, yeah. John Hour sold sold his shares in Jamland to the Taylors. He also sold his shares, some of them, to Angus Taylor's best bud in the whole wide world, Tony Reid. Remember the guy from Oxford and McKinsey? <laughs> Oh, he gave him his Xbox controller. <laughs> Actually, this uh, speaking of uh, like like birds and everything, it's ironic that he hates birds so much that he poisoned 420 wedgetail eagles when like everyone involved in that Stop These Things, the anti-windmill campaign, one of their biggest sort of complaints about um, wind turbines was that it killed birds when yep. there was what? no sort of evidence to really prove that that, that happened on any regular basis. Oh, now look, I've if- got to say, these wind farms sound like a pretty shit idea when you can just poison them. <laughs> <laughs> they were know complaining about inefficiency. Ah, oh, now I get it now. Yeah. I don't know if John Hour was, was involved in anti-wind turbine stuff. <laughs> I mean, he might have been. <laughs> yeah, I reckon he might have been. Who can say for sure? <laughs> I think... To talk about the main big scandal, which got my blood up, but maybe I'm a big nerd for numbers and political scandals, 
this what's been now called Watergate by the unimaginative Australian media <gasps> is so bad. fucking complicated and so long. It feels like a Marvel Cinematic Universe style <laughs> scandal. Like the reason why I've mentioned a few people before is because they're going to come up in this and it's it's just mind blowing how small it's like, you know, when you meet someone at a pub and then it turns out like they dated your ex six years ago <laughs> and now they're best friends with one of your da- Like, it's like that, but it's a, it's political scandals worth like tens of millions of dollars. Mitch um, is at home with a red string attached to the yeah, wall. No, it was. <laughs> this entire time that we've been researching this episode, occasionally Mitch would just like message the group chat and going, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. How did I find something else? Why does this never stop? <laughs> Please help. My nose is bleeding. <laughs> So, in the early days, Angus Taylor goes off to Oxford and very likely meets two people, Tony Reid and Chris Gradle. After this, Taylor goes off to be a partner at McKinsey. Working at McKinsey at the time is Tony Reid. The Taylor family are also through this time starting and directing a whole bunch of companies like Growth Farms Australia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Angus too, like I said, has been founding some companies. So, remember AMA and AAS? Mm-hmm. who he was director of, and they were um, their parent company was a Cayman Island company called AML, which we know nothing about, except that it was registered on December 6, 2007. Some other companies that Angus founded and directed that we know about are Eastern Australian Agriculture, EAA, whose parent company... Eastern Australia. Should the listener be writing these down? <laughs> no, I will, I, will, I, will keep, I will keep the acronyms short, but these are the players in this fucking scandal. Angus Taylor founded and directed EAA, whose parent company, Eastern Australia Irrigation, (laughs) we know for a fact was founded by Angus Taylor, registered to the Cayman Islands on December 6, 2007. Cool. Okay. All right. So he founded a bunch of companies and they seem to all be connected and some Mm -hmm. of them are connected to the Cayman Islands. Angus Taylor is director for EAA for a short time. He leaves and then Tony Reid is director at EAA for a while. After Reed leaves there, he becomes a non-executive director at Growth Farms Australia, Richard Taylor's company. So this whole time, Tony Tony Reed is sort of following Angus Taylor around in his wake. But we can then- assume that they're buds. So what I'm getting from this from what I'm getting from this background is basically they founded a whole like him, his brother, and his friends have founded a whole bunch of companies which have parent companies which have all been like you know registered the Cayman Islands and other places and they all sort of it's like musical chairs where they just keep on you know going and yeah. becoming director of each other. They're all doing the, the same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So they're just but moving they're moving the chess pieces around basically. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And so like I have to stress legally Angus Taylor ditches all of that, leaves it all behind, leaves the corporate world, enters politics mm-hmm. in 2013. During that time, he becomes- With a continuing interest in uh, uh, Grumble. What's his family's one? Grumble. <laughs> oh, except, except Guffy. He, 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 he Guffy. reports Guffy. <laughs> Grumble. <laughs> I, I thought it was Grug. <laughs> Guffy is a family Grug. investment. <laughs> but yeah, he's not directing any companies. He leaves. He mm-hmm. joins federal politics and helps Barnaby Joyce negotiate some deals. And so, yeah, he joins federal politics in ag, ag business. Exactly. Which has nothing to do with all of that. Exactly. Stuff. So, the, this fucking scandal, goddammit. So, in July of 2017, EAA was paid $79 million for 28 billion litres of water, essentially. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This produced for EAA a profit of about $52 million. Uh-huh. What that looks like is, given the excess profit on that $52 million, it seems like uh, the, the Australian government shouldn't have paid more than $27 million for that. They, they overpaid. And this is how that scandal initially broke, was everyone going, why did you spend so much money on that fucking water? Um, uh, Marianne Slattery did some work, found out that the average price was about 1500 per megalitre. Um, and the government, in this instance, paid 2745 per megalitre. Mm. All right, so they way overpaid. So he, they, the government paid a fucking lot of money for this water. Now, now we should be specific. They didn't actually buy water. So in Australia, dry country, lots of farming. Um, when you've got a big river or a, a water catchment, you've got to find a way to distribute that water in in some fairish way. So companies tend to get like licenses for the amount of water they're allowed to take from a river or from a, a rainfall uh, or whatever. Um, 
but they can sell that water back to the government or to other places for a certain amount of money. So they're not buying like the water exactly. You're not piping the water around necessarily. You're buying the licenses, your right to use that water. Um, and mm. so, yeah, it can get real messy and you have a lot of politics and a lot of money here because these are big industries. And sometimes you hear about it in the environment a lot um, because sometimes the water licenses are operated in such a way that there's no water like left over for the actual river uh, and animals and stuff like that. So it's real messy. So they're buying licenses here, not necessarily actual physical yeah. water. Which was also weird because this deal was done without a tender process. EAA right. were just granted the deal. There were nine other companies offering like water licenses in the same area, totally disregarded. EAA was the company that was just entered into negotiation with for the overinflated water licensing cost. Jesus. Um, the company that uh, was hired by the government to value the water licenses was a company called Collier's. They were hired by the government in September 2016 to make these evaluations. The year previous to that, in 2015, Collier's was retained by EAA to help them sell two other properties. Oh, well, there huh, we right. go. Okay. Wow. So, they're, yeah. Mm. And, and, and we've established from the, their work with the government that Collier's is a company that really doesn't know how much water is valued. Uh, <laughs> right. they, they got it about wrong by like twice over, yeah? Um, there was, on the government side, Collier's made some um, initial impressions. And on the other side, EAA were telling the government um, uh, how much money the uh, they should be probably buying these water licenses for. But the sure. thing was, is that this is also water that couldn't be, or the water licensing that couldn't even be used straight away. This was called, uh, this is overflow water, which is essentially flood water. And so it's it's like it's that it's the it's a combination of big brain economics and agribusiness where you sort of go, well, based over the last century of trends, I'm pretty sure I should be able to guarantee X amount of flood water. And so why don't you buy some licenses for that? So we did did we end up actually getting water out of this? Um, as far as I could tell, probably not. Um, okay. Because again, it starts to move around yet again. They like buying and selling licenses all over the fucking place. But the reason why this is interesting is because the profits that Eastern Australian Agriculture made, an Australian company, pretty much went overseas straight away to their Cayman Island parent company, EAI. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I didn't know too much about until I started looking into this. But that's essentially because if you're an Australian business and you owe money to an offshore parent company, the interest on that debt leaves Australia before tax. Hmm. So, as it happens, EAA owned, owed their parent company about $45 million in interest on loans. So, when they got a whole bunch of money in, they could just go, ah, it's got to go to our parent company. We've got to pay our debts down. This is something that businesses cool. do all the time. It's called debt loading, and it has a name because it, it happens so fucking often that the Australian tax office sometimes has to step in and force Australian businesses to renegotiate the interest rates on their loans that they own their parent companies because so much money is just being squirreled away overseas. Uh, that happened, for instance, in 2016 when the ATO first uh, forced EAA to reduce the interest they owed uh, their parent company EAI from 12% down to 7% or nearly 8%. Um, That's a really high interest loan. It's so high. It just, it's deliberately high. That's the thing. So I'm not saying Angus Taylor did this at all. That would be libelous. But let's just say hypothetically, if you are director or you're in any way involved in the Cayman Island company, you can just send really high interest rates for your Australian company. And then if the Australian company makes a profit, it just goes offshore before any tax is paid because the interest is so high on those loans. It's Sweet. That's Absolutely a pretty fucked. good way to make money from actually not specifically selling anything. Isn't it just? <laughs> <laughs> but again, Angus Taylor had no direct financial gain from these deals, nor did he have any decision-making power in any of these companies yeah, at any good. time. However- It's just his family members and friends. Well. Who had financial interest in these companies. Well, oh. Angus Taylor's- Oh, and Grumble. <laughs> no, so Guffy, Guffy, as far as we know, don't actually have a, a part in this, um, nor does it seem like Richard Taylor has any part in this, but a big player in this, and this is reported by the media, this Tony Reid is back in the fucking game again. So remember Tony Reid, 
Oxford, McKinsey, um, uh, EAA, and then Growth Farms Australia. I've started so- to think it'd be really nice to have Oxford mates at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're in big business. All right. All right. So, so while, so. So while this was happening, while the government was trying to negotiate how much they should pay for these water licenses, EAA hired Tony Reid as a consultant. Yeah? He he used to be the director, left, okay. was working at Angus Taylor's brother's company. Then his former company went, hey, can we hire you back as a consultant? And he did entirely, entirely objective, fair, unrelated work. He was hired as a sole consultant, had nothing to do with Growth Farms Australia, nothing whatsoever. What he did was he overvalued the amount of water those licences should hold by about 2,000 megalitres to the tune of about $3.3 million. Cool. A megalitre is a million litres, by the way. It's so... (laughs) I did not know that. (laughs) That's 2 billion litres of water. Did did you say 2,000 megalitres? Yes. Yeah. That's a lot of litres. So yeah, so he he told he told the government that EAA should be able to sell about fourteen thousand megalitres, and then a second company a little while later, NC Economics, did their own estimates, and they found they could not in any way get it above twelve thousand megalitres. So so Tony Reid managed to find an an additional three point three million dollars for the company that Angus Taylor founded, but now has nothing to do with mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, another person who possibly benefited from this. Uh, deal is Chris Gradle. Now, he is now the head of Pacific Alliance, a fund that was a significant initial investor in some of Angus Taylor's companies. And he was also um, at Oxford um, with uh, with Angus Taylor. Uh, he was also a partner at McKinsey at the same time Angus Taylor was. Chris was a partner in Hong Kong while Angus was a partner in Australia. And it turns out Pacific Alliance had a financial benefit from these sales as well. It's absolutely fucking mind-blowing that it's just the same, like, five good mates, like, from the 90s at Oxford. What are we doing with a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you going to mention Cubby Station in 2010? That was when AML were trying to pivot to buy it, and that was when he declared he was the director of um, the Cayman Island company. Yeah, I think just the interesting thing here, which is a bit fucked, is in 2010, Angus Taylor and AML tried to buy Cubby Station, which is the biggest irrigation property in Australia. Kind of a big deal. And before they even like did the deal or signed it or anything, they attempted to sell 92,000 megalitres of water from Cubby Station back to the federal government. <laughs> so they're all about wow. this, like buying and selling water licensing. Oh, my Lord. It's, gee, it's, it's suddenly uh, that context of him um, making the recommendation to Victorian Parliament to get into water buying suddenly makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and that just... one was explicitly Angus Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking, yeah. I mean, wh- I didn't want to get into the whole thing about how this even started, but there was like, it goes back to the Howard government where initially if you owned land and a whole bunch of land, the water that was on that land and that flowed through it was like connected to it. And Howard's whole deal was like, oh, we should detach land from water. And so then farmers can essentially make money out of something that they couldn't make money out of before. So it's just it's just more like neoliberal, let's make a profit on everything by subdividing stuff that doesn't exist and selling the stuff that doesn't exist to people who don't need it. Like it's, it's just primitive accumulation. Uh, if anyone's been yeah. listening to Mandatory Redistribution Party, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Water laws in this country, especially, I can't comment on other countries. I'm sure they're fucked there. They are fucked in Australia. Like, <laughs> and and to the point where I really don't even want to get into water politics because if there's one thing other than fossil fuels, if you say the wrong thing and then you just get mysteriously murdered in Australia, it's fucking about with water politics. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I want to stay out of that. Kind of as much as possible beyond saying, "Oh, this is this is a little interesting." <laughs> I mean, that's that's the that's the water buyback scandal. I already can't remember the name of any of those companies. There was like six, and they well, all owned each other. You should spend three and a half weeks reading nothing but this. <laughs> We've got EAI. Yep. Which is... No, no, no. I, I didn't say I want to know. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> no, I actually think like half the point is to make it confusing. Yeah. There's a bunch of companies. They're all kind of connected in, in various ways, um, and they're all involved in agricultural business. Don't worry too much. The, the, the reason why it's a scandal is because 
they keep setting up shell companies with unimaginative names and hiring their own friends in different positions to do different things. It's fucked. Absolutely. The big point of this is to go, oh, I don't know. I can't fucking remember. This sucks. It's like, yeah, that's why they do it. That's why you've got Eastern... (laughs) That's why you have Eastern Australian agriculture being owned by Eastern Australian irrigation. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's it's like the gas form of a... a um, corruption scandal, like a gas attack. Like you, know, you just got to, <laughs> like just just throw the tear gas bomb in there yeah. and confuse the shit out of everyone. The Clover Moore saga is the stupidest shit I've heard in Australian politics in such a long time. I Easily one of the dumbest. Stupid politics. <laughs> <laughs> Easily one of the dumbest things that's ever happened, and a lot of dumb stuff has happened. Like in at like least the some last... of the other stuff around yeah. Angus Taylor is like, oh yeah, it's big business, and it's it's all these like the the hidden companies and stuff. And this is just like some of the stupidest shit. So essentially, would you say this is? more dumb than like liking the AFP investigation over liking a porn tweet. <laughs> Cause I think it's dumber. For sure. So so essentially, Angus Taylor wanted to skewer Lord Mayor of Sydney, Clovermore. He wanted to call her a hypocrite and put her on blast because according to him, she's she's talking about going green all the time. But actually she spends fifteen million dollars on travel. That's not very green. And he had this report that he pulled from her website showing that on her register, on the Sydney, uh, the, 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 the Sydney City website, it shows $15 million spent on travel in one year. Turns out, though, they only spent $228,000 and the website never showed anything but that ever huh. in any okay. way, shape or form. So this whole scandal is about where did Angus Taylor get this number from? Who provided it to him? Why did he say something that was so clearly and easily provably wrong? Like, since this came out, all Clover Moore has done is release, like, the metadata on every ISP address that ever accessed that site. She has listed the amount of times it's been downloaded. She's she's given out to reporters... Um, all of the track changes that have ever happened to the website. And she's like, she's gotten IT experts in to drag the Sydney Council website to go, yeah, we've never said $15 million. Hang on. So Angus Taylor said it was 15 and he did he back that up with like a document or he said that was yeah. from the website yeah, he and he put never the backed screen down? Yeah, he the screen of the, grab of the PDF saying it was um, the $15 million. So this is this is the thing is that he initially had this um, form that he said proved it, which was somehow leaked to the Daily Telegraph, who who ran it as a story, um, mm-hmm. and he said, "Yeah, I got that from the Sydney Council website." And they went, "Well, when?" Because we've never had that figure. And he's gone, "Oh, well, someone in my office on either like one day or one day in September accessed it then, and then they gave it to me." And so the Sydney Council went, oh, well, here's every ISP address that accessed it on those days, and it doesn't seem to relate to your office. And on those days, it never said the 15 million. And he's gone, oh, well, oh, well. you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I apologise for using that number, and I have no idea how that happened. And that's oh, it. Cool. That's it. The Australian Federal Police were asked to look into it, and they decided not to open <laughs> any case. They also they dropped then had, it, didn't they? <laughs> Just dropped it. Just absolutely dropped it. And they were asked in Senate Estimates, hey, why'd you drop it? And they went, oh, we have to take it on notice. And then a little while later, they went, oh, we didn't have enough evidence for that. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems like what we're all trying to do at the moment is figure out a way to, in a non-libelous sense, say, hey, Angus Taylor, why'd you make up that number? Because we've got no proof that he did. And if he did do that, it would be criminal. And to say that he did with no evidence is criminal. And so, like, The Guardian or ABC or whatever could be potentially shut down forever. But and no one pushes him on it. Like, exactly. if he's if he's got a screen cap that's got that he's put forward as his own evidence to say that it said fifteen million dollars, get the fucking screen cap and see that. Like, you know, has he doctored it? What's he done with it? Like, no one's actually bothered to go forward. Like, in terms of pressing him further on that, why? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it seems like there's absolutely no consequences for saying some provably false stuff about a politician to try and make them look bad and then not really doing anything when it turns out. Like he's suing everyone to shit for being, you know, defamatory against him, but he can do something that's extremely legally suspect and just nothing happens. Well, well he didn't do it anything is, it that is was legally suspect. Say. He was just using the uh, document from the city council website that clearly stated that she'd spent $15 million, <laughs> even though such a document provably never existed. But that's where he got it from. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the thing that's frankly outrageous to even suggest that he got it from somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because to do so would be illegal. Um, the reason as well why this actually became a, um, a, a bigger story than I think anyone was hoping it would in the Liberal Party was because um, when the, the Sydney Council referred the matter to the New South Wales police, I don't know if you guys remember this, Scott Morrison as Prime Minister um, said that he personally called the New South Wales Police Commissioner about the matter. Oh, yeah. And just, just to go, just to ask what he, he considered him an old friend and he was, I, I got him on the blower and I decided to just, you know, to just go straight to the source and see what was what. And everyone was like, dude, my God, that's potentially illegal and also perverting the course of justice. What the fuck are you doing? Nah, but he's a good mate. He's a good mate. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't trying to, <laughs> I divested from that relationship. <laughs> ministers will be ministers, you know? Yeah, it was just, it was such a, like, I remember at the time um, talking about their relationship as like, oh, I, I used to bring his bins in. And then two weeks later, they're like, oh, I never really have much to do with him. I don't speak to him much. I don't know who he is. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, yeah, all over the place, just this weird, like, semi-legal perversion of justice that, like, doesn't. Mm. And, and the thing, and the thing is as well, like not to not to get into it because it's bullshit anyway. But Angus Taylor's defense at the moment is he's trying to say that there's a difference between downloading a document and accessing a document from a website. So you know when you click on some links yeah. and it opens a tab, and then the tab automatically downloads a PDF. He's saying <laughs> that that's fundamentally different than going to a website and looking at something and then clicking save on the document and getting it from there or something. Like, yeah, fighting this one on a technicality a- really makes him look like he's in the right. <laughs> Tech expert weighing in here. There's no difference. <laughs> the server sends data to your computer and then your computer decides what to do with it. Some browsers will decide to save it to your machine. Some browsers will decide to just show it and then like delete it. Either way, it's getting saved on your computer for the duration that it's being shown. <laughs> and then it's either being removed or kept based on which buttons that you push. But as soon as the server's transmitted that information, the server has nothing more to do with the relationship yeah the xbox controller has been lent (laughs) and but when it's downloaded to your computer that's when the figures get edited the moment that you click the download button it gets edited to 15 million (laughs) dollars it's just yeah yeah Um, that's that's a known bug in in uh, some versions of windows (laughs) uh, (laughs) it'll make your political opponents look really bad uh in a way that's totally untraceable um but uh, i i understand that microsoft is working really hard to fix that so probably new version of windows won't happen anymore (laughs) um but yeah there was also some um unscrupulous and unfounded rumors going around at the time that angus taylor's wife uh, Louise Clegg was actually like angling for a run at uh, Sydney Lord Mayor, um, but that is an unfounded and completely ridiculous rumor to uh, to report. Scarlet. But we have to we have to report on the whole thing. It would be remiss of us if we didn't report that there was a minor unfounded scandal that seems to suggest that Angus Taylor's wife was trying to run for Lord Mayor of Sydney, and so mm. maybe discrediting the current one could potentially serve some family interests. But it's an indirect relationship anyway. He's only married to her. Yeah, you have you have to give time to both sides of the debate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> In my favourite um, Angus Taylor scandal, uh, one time he commented as himself <laughs> on his own Facebook post. <laughs> that's all. What are you with this scandal? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what did he say? One time he put up a post and then a few comments down, there's just Angus Taylor again going, fantastic, great move, well done, Angus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so good because it's either like he has a burner account and he forgot to go out of it or some poor staffer is forced to like oh. make a post on his behalf, sign out and then log back in on his account being like, yeah, good one, man. <laughs> It's just fucking, it's just cute and stupid. It's such a tiny, petty little political stuff up, but it's such a perfect as above, so below <laughs> microcosm of like, yeah, but I mean, he has a bunch of different burner accounts and it's really hard to keep track of which one's actually his interest and which one's like yeah. his Facebook account registered in the Cayman Islands yeah. and which one's his brother's Facebook account, yeah, he which forgot- one's his best friend from McKinsey's Facebook account. And then we've got like, one's him and the other one's him, but it's like, it's, it's registered to the other one that's also him. And then one's his family 
there's just a lot of accounts yeah. going on. They're all shared accounts. It just makes you think, like, what is he using all those, like, well, allegedly potentially using, like, multiple Facebook accounts for? Like, does he use, like, one of them to argue in, like, the politics free speech zone Facebook group? <laughs> um, yeah, one's his page, one's his group. One's- <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea that, like, Angus Taylor also... Angus Taylor also has like Angus Tala and Taylor Angus and Angus Taylors and all these other burner <laughs> accounts that he just he can't think of other names for it. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> this is different enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic! A great move. Yeah. Love from Angus Taylor. Angus, Angus Taylor Italian. <laughs> that was me putting on a Cayman Islands accent. <laughs> So, uh, so what's next for Angus Taylor? Uh, you're probably asking. <laughs> what's now for Angus Taylor? What the fuck? <laughs> He's a human smoke bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting with bated breath to see what's going to be um, what's going to be happening. Uh, as of May this year, 2020, the year of our Lord, there's been a couple of reports coming out. Some have been released. Some have been leaked. All of them have been headed by the fossil fuel industry bigwigs saying essentially that fossil fuels are the most renewable energy out there and they're going to save Australia <laughs> from the recession happening from, from COVID. Um, so as energy minister, or as Scott Morrison put it, the, the man in charge or the, the, the minister in charge of getting electricity prices down, which, mm-hmm. by the way, he hasn't done, um, Angus Taylor is in charge of trying to encourage and discourage certain sectors of the Australian economy to go towards different types of uh, energy, like energy, uh, not sectors, but, you know, energy technology, rather. Um, And there's a whole bunch of scuttlebutt with all of these reports that seem to be focusing on um, carbon capture and sequestration and a pipeline going up the east coast of Australia and to the to the northern states, to the northern reaches. Now, I'm just, I am waiting to see, like, what companies Guffy has invested in, whether Growth Farm Australia owns any of the properties the pipeline might go through. Um, Lang, there's also this bit here about the, um, the energy agencies, if you want to hit that. So, Angus Taylor, if you've been listening to this podcast recently, you'll know Angus Taylor in the context of energy stuff. Um, and the Australian friggin' energy emissions history is an absolute shit show. Um, and Angus Taylor's been involved the whole way through. Back in 2013, he was trying to get rid of the renewable energy target, um, which they did, like, cut a lot because Tony Abbott was in. They shafted that target really hard. Um, and the the remaining bit of that energy target expires 2020 this year, Okay. Um, the Turnbull government was trying to bring in the National Energy Guarantee, the NEG, uh, which was meant to address reliability, affordability, and emissions. Um, but emissions, we can't be addressing those. So they canned that as well. And as also canned year, Malcolm Turnbull. And, and they canned Malcolm Turnbull. Exactly. Morrison got in. Because Turnbull was like, he was like, oh, I guess climate change is a thing, <laughs> but we don't want to do too much about it because... Because maybe my party will get angry. But then Morrison comes in and he doesn't even give a shit. So they, as of this year, Australia has no real emissions target or plan at all. Um, Angus Taylor (laughs) specifically, because he's in charge of this, refuses, refuses to set a target or a plan. Um, And when asked directly, (laughs) when asked directly, does Australia want to hit zero carbon by 2050, which is what everyone agrees we have to do to not die. That's what everyone's doing, the Paris Agreement. It's what all the states are doing. It's what every bloody responsible country and industry, even fucking Shell and Exxon, the big oil companies who invented climate denial, they want to go zero carbon by 2050 and they make carbon. Angus Taylor (laughs) is like, nah. No, straight no, we will not be setting a zero carbon by 2050 target because we don't know how much it will cost. We don't want to hurt the economy. Um, I don't know if he's noticed. Our economy is based in the Earth's ecosystem. Like, so, did you hear his direct, <laughs> did you hear his quote after? I mean, there was a direct quote, no. Did you hear the, 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 the what, quote what after it though? Quote? The quote was, we're not going to set a target without a plan. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, it's your job to make the plan. <laughs> no, so Mitch, good. you missed the final quote, which was, I love carbon so much and I want to kiss <laughs> I it. I want to kiss it on the mouth and marry it. I love it. <laughs> it's um, also my best wait friend. Second. Wait a second. That's, that's stupid, though. What? <laughs> We're not going to set a target without a plan. Well, yeah, yeah but I mean, like, if you don't have a plan, how can you possibly ta- set a target? Setting a target is a plan. 
Yeah. What do you mean? And no. if you don't have a target, a target and then you make a plan to hit it. No, no, no. You've got to have, have a plan come first. Come up with the whole plan and then after you've made the plan, be like, so what's the Oh, goal? my. Holy yeah. shit. Like, I knew it was stupid beforehand, but he's just telling on himself about how he's always operated in business through McKinsey and everything. You set the plan up, you figure out what you can do, and then you post hoc go, oh, this is the target we should hit. Oh, we smashed I mean, it. Yeah. I should get a bonus. Like that's all it is. I mean, he doesn't even care. He just doesn't. He just doesn't want to invest in renewables. Um, he claimed Australia was like, yeah, we're doing great with carbon emissions. We're bloody world leaders. We're killing it. We're gonna hit all our targets. We were ranked zero out of a hundred. We were at the bottom of the global performance index <laughs> for like acting on climate change. Okay. Oh, what? We got a lot of bushfires that happened shortly after he made that comment, or, or actually during uh, he made that comment, end of 2019. Um. He is friggin' trying to, we've, we've got like a few, still a few that they haven't been able to totally destroy like renewable energy investment, like parts of the government that distribute tax money to, to renewable energy. So he's trying to get the Renewable Energy Agency and Clean Energy Finance Corporation funding, which are all about like, uh, carbon neutral, renewable, uh, clean energy, um, freed up to use on carbon capture and storage, um, which is explicitly not renewable. Um, it, it's carbon capture and storage only exists as like a fictional idea to justify still using fossil fuels. Um, and so he's trying to get that last little bit of funding because you can't stand seeing a little bit of funding going to renewable energy so freed up to use for fossil fuels. So far, it's this, it's the constant talking about like, well, what we actually need is technology. We should be funding mm. technology to bring emissions oh, yeah. down. Just this is despite the fact that overseas, we've talked about this on other episodes, mm. overseas, so many fossil fuel companies and large investment firms that have literally trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars in assets are going, hey, yo, the technology exists. We need to just use it. We're going to not fund fossil fuel anymore because it's a dead industry. There's no money in it. We're going straight to renewables. And Australia, just the Australian government too, the Australian Business Council has recently come out and they've said, oh, "Oh, we should start looking into renewables. And they're saying the technology exists, just fucking use it. But the government is still going, maybe we should just wait to see if a cool invention comes (laughs) along. That, Or they start up exploratory committees where they can pay Mm. consultants. Yep. Again, like at McKinsey. Like or- <laughs> there are there are like no more studies to be done. All of the studies have been done, yep. and they keep doing these fucking studies where they're like, let's just explore a range of technologies. And every time they do them, they come back and they very obviously go, well, it's renewable energy, bloody solar, wind, bit of biomass, bit of hydro, so much cheaper, so much cheaper, and so much better in every way than fossil fuels can ever be. And they go, oh. Oh, well, let's just do another study just to check. Or let's, <laughs> let's sure. maybe investigate carbon. Or me- let's, this is something that you've got to keep an eye out for. They've started doing, let's combine gas and renewables. So let's, let's look yeah. at one of our solutions is gas and renewables. Oh, it's, it's pretty good, is it? Yeah, it's pretty good because it's mostly renewables, but you just sort of <laughs> some gas in there. Anyway, he, he loves also saying things like, um, Oh, we've got too much wind. We'll never hit that renewables target. It's insane. And then we just cruise through that target. Yeah. With it's the way one more wind that we he... actually do hit at a canter. Yeah. Or or he says, Oh no, South Australia's got it's got too much wind. Oh, their their whole system's gonna No, South Australia's on like fifty percent renewables now, they're doing fine. You can't have all that fossil fuels without backing it up with gas. We need more gas. I'm like, but if you're saying gas exists to back up the renewables, but you don't want to build the renewables, you're really just building gas there's there's one last point that i do want to hit which is that we describe angus taylor uh on the podcast fairly contemptuously (laughs) uh we call him the federal federal energy idiot we talk about how stupid it is that he's saying these particular things about like renewables where he's like oh you know like we're going to save a lot of money by like bringing energy prices down by investing in clean coal or gas and we're like doesn't he know that renewables are just way cheaper and that you know the coal price around the world is you know plummeting as people sensibly divest and that sort of thing i i genuinely don't buy that he is a dumb person he's a smart guy he's got his head screwed on really tightly he's very successful let's be real Mm -hmm. he's like somebody who's got an incredible amount of power within australia he's someone who if you're in his inner circle you have a pretty good chance of becoming incredibly rich through government <laughs> contracts, just like statistically speaking. I'm not saying there's any direct causal relationship there, but <laughs> if you're a member of his family, chances are 
just by the numbers, you'll get a huge boon from some government sale or something. The man's very smart. The guy knows how to run a complex system of overlapping businesses. Absolutely. He's really good at that. And I think that it it just like, I I think it just warrants clarifying that even though it's fun to describe him as stupid and his incredibly incorrect statements about the environment as like, oh, look at how incorrect that is. That's dumb. Like he knows what's going on. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and saying he's a hundred percent perfectly aware that renewable technology is amazing that that climate change is real and it's going to kill everybody, but he is someone who doesn't value that when it comes to enriching himself and the people around him. Because hmm. you don't um, get rich by saving the planet for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. He's He knows what he's doing and he's genuinely scary because of that. The work that he's gone through Oxford and McKinsey and comes through means that he's very quite, he's quite capable at doing these terrible things. And yeah. He, he knows what he's fucking doing. And the longer he is in Australian politics, being able to do those things, the mm. worst things are going to get for us. He okay. is, if not already, very soon, going to be directly related and responsible to the climate catastrophes that happen in this fucking country. Because he I mean, keeps- he already is. He, yes, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> there will be ashy blood on his hands if another bushfire season happens like the one we just fucking had. He's fucking directly responsible for it because of this bullshit. Mm. But all that said, the future seems bright for Angus Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) And by that I mean, hell is described as burning for eternity. (laughs) Look, he's got a career plan and he's committed to it. If you're wondering what action you can take following this podcast about uh, Angus Taylor... What are we going to do about this man? Well, first of all, nothing. He's perfectly innocent. He's just a politician. Um, <laughs> but what you can do is 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 really like help him out. So he's a man who's passionate about bringing electricity bills down. And if your electricity bill is high, there is really no more important action that you can take than moving away from any of the big energy corporations and picking up a smaller uh, 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 electricity provider like Momentum or PowerShop. Uh, they will just uh, you'll pay less because they don't just charge a huge premium on top of the baseline electricity power. So and if you're like, oh man, electricity bills are high. Maybe Angus Taylor's onto something. Just make sure you're with like Momentum or PowerShop. There's a couple of other ones. Do some research. But yeah. if you can't yeah. be bothered doing some research, Momentum or PowerShop are both fine and they will reduce your electricity bill and uh, make Angus Taylor happy. It's really important to note that, especially in Victoria, we have some of the lowest wholesale prices for electricity, but the highest retail prices. The vast majority of your power bill is just uh, profit that your power company is keeping. So whenever anyone says we've got to get prices down by changing where our electricity comes from, they're lying to you. Yeah, change it to a different company that it comes from. But the sort of the generators are not the problem here. It exactly. Is the, yeah. Oh man, if only there was someone in power who cared about bringing electricity bills down, they could do something about that relationship. Ah <laughs> oh, well. Um, I haven't looked into Amber Electricity, but I hear they're they're good too. There we go. Thanks for listening. You can get in touch on all the socials at notgoodpod or email us notgoodpod at protonmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, tell your friends about the show and then they can listen to it. And then you can listen to it as well if you liked it so damn much. Go and listen to it. uh, Just do a repeat. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) If you like our podcast so much, why don't you marry it? Yeah, I forgot what any of the things I was supposed to say in the... Mm-hmm. In the outro, were <laughs> if somebody wants to have another go at that, that doesn't sort of trail off and then end in abuse, uh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think it was fine. Not good enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Um, we want to acknowledge their elders, past, present, and emerging, um, and to point out that this land was never ceded. <laughs>